Known as the monster of the Andes, Pedro Alonso Lopez was born into a single-parent family in Santa Isabel, Colombia, on October 8th, 1948. This guy is insane, you guys. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> so Pedro's father had passed in La Valencia, which was a civil war, only being raised by his mother and multiple other siblings. Pedro was the only child to Benilda and Morado. So he had been married to another woman to which he had actually cheated on, and Pedro was the result of their night together. I feel like the era that Pedro was born in would foreshadow the life that he would go on to live. Oh, absolutely. No doubt. So Pedro's mother, she did what she could, you know, to support her family. And this was through, you know, sex work, which the children in the home, they were well aware of this. The trauma of Pedro's unhealthy family dynamic would stay with him forever, you guys. Pedro and his siblings would see male clients of his mother, you know, coming in and out of the home. And most often these clients would leave his mother very battered and very bruised. Benilda's 13 children all shared one room and one bed in this home. So there was really nowhere for any of the kids to just go and escape the sounds of their, you know, their mother's line of work that she brought into the family home. Can you imagine? No. It's really unfathomable. So Pedro says that his mother was very extremely strict and her accounts of her children's upbringing was actually quite the opposite of that. Losing his father prior to his birth didn't leave Pedro with really many options or a direction in life. I mean, the war was going on all around them, so it's not like the kids could just go outside. They couldn't just go play. The area was a very, very dangerous place. Actually, one of the most dangerous places in the world at this time. Pedro would go on to blame his mother for the things that he would go through later in his life, claiming that she was the reason why he feared women. He claimed to not be able to have any sort of relationship with the ladies because of the traumas in his childhood. You have to imagine the sights and sounds around Pedro while he was growing up, from his turbulent childhood inside the home to the war happening right outside, and the entire area around him was absolutely ravished from as far back as he could remember. Like, who wouldn't have PTSD from that? Pedro from the outside was said to be a really nice kid, super sweet, quiet, and had aspirations of becoming a school teacher from a very young age. It would be around the age of eight when Pedro's mom would make a grave discovery and Pedro's life would go from worse to whatever comes after that. Pedro's mom walked in on him molesting his little sister and at that moment his mother banned him from the family home ordering him never to return again. Frightened out of his mind on the streets of Columbia, a tiny Pedro made his way through the war-torn building seeking shelter, quickly finding refuge as a gang member made up of other tiny homeless children. He scoured for whatever he could find in dumpsters to fill his belly when he was hungry and when he needed a roof over his head, but it wasn't an option that night, Pedro would find himself resting in dark, scary, exposed alleyways. In one of those alleyways, it is said that a man approached him one day, promising him a warm home and a fresh meal. Pedro, absolutely desperate, took this man up on his kind gesture. 
This would be another shitty hand dealt to Pedro. The man never took him to his home, or any home for that matter. Instead, straight to an abandoned building, maybe one that Pedro had actually slept in in the past, where he brutally raped Pedro, leaving him on a concrete floor and the man disappeared never to be seen again. Pedro had lived through his attack, coming out of it even more angry than he had ever felt. He would recall decades later that the incident was when he actually knew that he would be a serial killer. Wow. It wasn't long before Pedro's appearance became skin and bones. He was so traumatized by what had been done to him in his past. I mean, he hid in the daylight hours. He only came out at night, really just to search for food. He just like feared for his life. Probably didn't want to run into this man again. Exactly. A lovely elderly American couple had actually seen Pedro on the streets and something had called out to them, something internal. And they approached him and they were offering him, you know, long-term shelter in their home, food, just something for him. Pedro saw the compassion in their hearts and he gladly accepted their offer. He lived with them and he thrived physically. He was clean. He was warm, fed. He was being educated at a school for orphans. And all of this came to an end when a sick, sick school teacher took advantage of Pedro's orphan status and molested him. So that feeling of pain, anger, and the rage, it all came flooding back to Pedro. He couldn't bear to go back to that elderly couple, probably, you know, fearing that they would send him back to school. He instead rummaged through the teacher's desks at school, stealing the money that he could find, and then he headed back to that really hard life on the streets. I mean, Pedro Mm -hmm. cannot get a break in life at this point. So sad. And do you imagine it started at eight? That's younger than our kids. Exactly. Can you imagine on the street? That's insane. Pedro would never be one to work a normal, like, nine-to-five job. He would begin stealing for a living at the age of 12, becoming a professional car thief in his late teens. The chop shops in the area loved Pedro, and all of the younger thieves in the area aspired to be like him rather than learn, like, a trade. They wanted to be like Pedro. In 1969, at the age of 18, Pedro was arrested for vehicle theft and would be sentenced to seven years behind bars. Within the first few days of this sentence, Pedro was brutally raped by two to four prisoners. Something once again overcame Pedro during this horrific experience, and he swore to himself that this would never happen again. Nobody would ever touch him again. He murdered each one of those men using weapons that he had made out of prison-issued eating utensils like forks and knives. Reports vary, but they say that Pedro was only sentenced to an additional two years for those murders because the courts had ruled that the actions of Pedro were in self-defense, while other sources say he wasn't given any additional time at all. Clearly, he knew what he was doing to get revenge. Right. I mean, either way, those two, you know, you can't beat them. Two years or no time. (laughs) So by this time, the psychological trauma that Pedro had endured in his super short life had been taking an even more serious toll on him. Prison can make a seemingly healthy person crazy. 
Throw in abandonment at the age of eight, multiple rapes, molestations, homelessness as a child. Oh my God. It's bound to do some damage on your brain. Totally. Hands down. So Pedro was released from prison in 1978. And this is when he said that things changed. He says this is when his stalking and killing of young girls actually began. Pedro kept his focus on indigenous girls. To him, their lower economic status made them easier targets in his mind. Pedro's killings began with the actual counts being unknown early on because there were literally that many of them. Jeez. Like up to three to five per week. You guys, that's 25 per month. That's insane. Little girls. Little girls. Ugh. Pedro would lure young girls with small, you know, shiny gifts that he used to attract them. He would then promise these innocent young girls the same gift for their mother if, you know, they just followed him to come get it. And they would follow because they trusted Pedro. Pedro's luck, though, would run out one afternoon when he was captured by a Native American tribe for attempting to kidnap a nine-year-old girl from one of the local markets. He had stalked her and her mother for days prior to making his move of actually snatching the little girl. While buried up to his neck in dirt, which was the punishment for kidnapping according to tribal law, natives agreed to release Pedro when a Christian missionary came upon the scene begging for Pedro's release from the ground. They had promised to turn Pedro over to the authorities for his crimes. His luck then returned when the Native American tribe agreed to spare his life. Pedro was deported back to Ecuador at this time by the authorities who didn't even bother to investigate his crimes or prosecute him. Pedro's life as a nomad continued and so did the rise in missing children. Oh, scary. Is there a connection? Yes. So countless girls throughout Peru, Colombia, and Ecuador had gone missing, and these are all the places that Pedro had roamed. Families were desperate to find their missing girls, and authorities blamed their disappearances on the rise in child labor and sex trafficking, and that was the result of them missing. No investigation, no nothing. No nothing. (sighs) Thank God we live in the United States where things are a little bit different. Where we have access to private investigators. Yes. So families did not give up on their search. Some even posting, you know, missing persons ads in newspapers looking for their loved ones. A storm-filled year causing massive flooding unearthed the graves of four very young girls, all which had been reported missing and all had been murdered. A cause of death couldn't be determined for any of them. But days later, a woman working the market with her 12-year-old daughter noticed she wasn't by her side. You know, she had just seen her there a second ago. So she looks around and sees off in the distance her daughter walking with an unknown man. So she screams for help as the man made off with her just, you know, walking faster and faster away. So market workers took no time and they sprung into action, running full speed, and they captured the man and they freed the girl that he had with her. They held Pedro down, yes, Pedro, you guys, until the police arrived. Pedro was arrested, appearing to be completely out of it, rambling incoherently and just totally out there. Police could not get him to cooperate. They worked tirelessly on him. Finally, they gave up and threw him into his cell hours and hours later. Where he belongs. Yes. Rightfully so. 
giving up on getting this job done by themselves, they knew that they had to figure out a way to get Pedro to speak. So they decided to bring in a priest who would pose as a prisoner inside of Pedro's cell. Father Godino entered Pedro's cell posing as a rapist. His job was as tough as the authorities for Father Godino being a priest and having to be untruthful and speak of the unthinkable. But he was able to crack Pedro. He felt relief that he was able to get this job done. But at the same time, he completely regretted agreeing to this job because of all of the things that he had to listen to Pedro talk about. Pedro went on to detail, according to Pedro, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of murders of young girls. It was so bad that Father Gudino tapped. He raised his white flag and he asked to be released from Pedro's cell. He couldn't handle another one of Pedro's just sick and awful confessions. Father Gudino hardly slept for 30 days when he was in prison with Pedro because he said he feared for his life every second of every day. And that's coming from him. Like, that's pretty intense because he hears really horrible stuff. And that's a grown man. And grown man. He's... I mean, that would be traumatizing. So police brought Pedro back into their interrogation room, letting Pedro in on the little secret of Father Gudino's acting part. And then Pedro finally started to confess. Pedro said that there were a hundred murders that took place in Ecuador, a hundred in Colombia, and over 100 in Peru. And he said this all gleaming with pride. What a sick freaking chilling individual he proudly let them know to top it off that the most trusting girls came from colombia and how they were so willing to allow pedro to act out his fantasies and fulfill them like what a freaking sicko Sicko. oh you were reading my mind (laughs) (laughs) pedro said that he had preyed on those who were between the ages of eight and 12 those were the ones that he wanted to inflict the same pain on that he felt at their age pedro admitted to targeting little girls who had this specific look of innocence about them a look of innocence that he could strip away in an instant He said that he would always hunt in the daytime. He never wanted to work in the evenings because the darkness would hide the girl's soft and innocent features. Pedro admitted to killing the girls one at a time and that he said it had to be light outside, always staring into his victim's eyes as they transitioned from this life into the next. He felt great pleasure like no other watching the life slip away from these little girls. Even after their deaths, he would act out monologues with the girls' dead bodies. He said that he preferred to have tea parties with them in particular. If you're looking for remorse from anybody, it is not going to come from Pedro. And I feel like he made that very clear. Right. With no way to confirm all of Pedro's confessions, police hands were really tied at that point. Pedro was upset because of this and like they were doubting him almost like he was upset he about was that. Upset, exactly. Like how dare you doubt how many people I've killed. Yeah. Like that's your passion. He was willing to lead the police to the gravesite of many of his victims which were actually 53 to 57 all in the same grave. All in the same grave. So he just go and just it's bury like his, on top yeah. of bury or it's like his dig. little burial ground that he had. <sighs> which is so fucking disturbing. 
So all of these girls were gently removed from this, you know, makeshift gravesite. And their ages, like he said, range from 8 to 12 years old. Mm-mm. So young, just like Pedro had promised them. Honestly, it gives me chills just thinking about how sick that is. So Pedro led them to nearly 30 other sites, but no remains of any of his victims could actually be located at any of those other sites. So in the late 1980s, Pedro pled guilty to 110 charges of murder. Now, the charges could have been up to, honestly, 350 if money was not an issue for Colombia or Peru. Pedro's max sentence was 16 years. 16. 16 years. One six. That's crazy. Say it one more time. One six. 16. That's insane. This was later changed because of Pedro's case to 25 years. Let's just talk on another 14 years. It's a joke. (laughs) That's insane. Many families of victims came together to then raise money for reward that they wanted to offer to any guard or any prisoner who would just off Pedro. (laughs) Like if anyone would just kill him, they were going to give him money. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. They wanted to kill him for the lives that he so selfishly stripped away and the pain that he caused to all these families. Don't blame him. Me neither. In 1999, Pedro gave an interview to a national news correspondent named Ray Leitner. The only interview, actually, that he would ever give. Pedro became, in this interview, a self-proclaimed man of the century He said, quote, no one will ever forget me, which is kind of ironic because I never heard of this guy. Me neither. I had no idea. I Googled serial killers in the Dominican Republic and he came up. So Pedro, you failed. Yeah, quite the man of the century. We don't even know who you are. Yeah. He said, I went after my victims while walking among them. He was in search of beauty. Though he had a fixation for the Native American girls, he dreamt of always capturing and killing children of American and European tourists. Pedro said that he never had the chance, though, because the parents of those children were too vigilant. Oh, such a shame that their parents were just so on top of their children. (laughs) He said that he would follow the children for days until they were left alone, and then he would pull out that shiny gift or trinket and promised them one for their mothers, just as beautiful if they would follow. I'd take them to a secret hideaway that I carefully prepared, along with graves that awaited, he said. He said that he would cuddle the girls through the night and carry out sex crimes at dawn, and then strangle them as he looked into his eyes, and they stared back, begging for him to stop. (sighs) He said, there's a divine moment when I have my hands around a young girl's throat. I look into her eyes and I see into her eyes a spark that will soon go out. All of this would have been wasted in the dark. I'd have to watch them. The woman of death is enthralling and exciting to Pedro. And those may have been his exact words. He said, anyone who kills knows this and I will feel that excitement again when I get out of prison. What the what fuck? The fuck is really going on? 
So you know how we always want like killers and people that do horrific things to speak? Like say something. Why did you do it? We want to know. Don't just sit there like a coward. Maybe we do want them to sit there like cowards. Yeah, because I feel like every time we're I hearing watch, this. Right. Or when you watch like the murder tapes and stuff and they actually tell you when the killer speaks, it's even more chilling where I'm like, okay, just shut up and go back to your right. cell and just stay there until you die. We're never happy though. Never mind. I don't <laughs> want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, right. So the creepiest shit ever, you know, if we can add some more to this, is in this interview, it only went down because Pedro's conditions for the interview request were met. Pedro called for the daughter of the prison director to be present during the interview, and he said that he must be allowed to touch and feel her hands while the correspondent, Ron, and he spoke. The daughter agreed <laughs> and the prison director agreed. All of this went down, this interview, as guards held loaded guns to Pedro's head. Make one move, motherfucker. Move one, motherfucker, and you're done. So I wish he did, honestly. How the hell do you get through an interview, though, after killing 300 plus people? I'm sure you know that there's a bounty on you. Oh, for and sure. And you have... All of these loaded ARs or whatever guns they have pointed at your head. No He's way. crazy. He's insane. Pedro had promised in advance to be on his best behavior with the director's daughter present, noting, sick MFR, that the prison director's daughter was much too old for his taste. Okay, this... I think I just threw up in my mouth. This guy is next level, you guys. And actually, during this interview that he had only agreed to if the prison director's daughter was there is if she held his hands through the entire interview. She was 26. She was not attractive to him. And all the guards are just holding guns to his head. That's like crazy. This is something that you really... You would think that you can't make up, but this is real life. Like, this really happened. This really went down. This is not even, like, a story out of a movie. No. It's just crazy. So, Pedro was released in 1999, two years early for his good behavior. Oh, good How for you, Pedro. does that make any sense? Mm. At the time of his release, he was driven to Colombia, and he was left there because he didn't have residential status in Ecuador. So with a few pesos in his pocket, new shoes, pants, shirt, water, and snacks, all issued to him by the prison, he was on his merry way, but not for long. Pedro was found to have returned to Ecuador a week later and was deported again. Pedro wished to make this place, Ecuador, his home because he knew himself that he would never face death for his crimes because ecuador had such loose laws at the time he could be there kill as many as he wanted serve go. a couple of years get off on good behavior and then be good to go i think ecuador needs to revamp some of their laws over there hopefully they did so colombia would come after pedro and re-arrest him for a 20 year old murder at the time declaring him insane Pedro was held in a Bogot hospital where he was treated for his psychological issues. He was a model patient, you know, during his stay there. Mm, whatever. As he was a model prisoner while he was in jail for a bajillion million murders. So years later, Pedro would be deemed as sane. And then he was released on a $50 bail with conditions. So oh, 16 anybody years. Anybody wants to get away with murder for 100 plus head over murders. to Columbia. <laughs> A hundred so, murders, yeah. fifty dollars revealed. That's so crazy. Fifty dollar holla. 
Interpol ended up hunting him down for the most recent murder that fit his, you know, exact M.O., and that actually took place in 2002. He's actually yet to be found. So if you guys live over there... Keep an eye out for Pedro. So Pedro had last been seen by his mother shortly after his release when he visited her, but not to say hi or see how she was doing. No, he was looking for his inheritance. She was dirt poor (laughs) the last time he saw her. So it's like, what inheritance are you actually looking for? What are your expectations? I have nothing to offer you. Sorry. Her economic status had not changed at all through all those years. When Pedro found her, she was living in complete poverty in this little tiny house I could only imagine has like 50 boards stacked on a makeshift roof with the absolute bare essentials inside. She quickly told Pedro, like, there's no inheritance. Like, looking around, like, wait, what? Yeah, take a look. It's not like I'm living in a mansion here, guy. No, or anything even like... I have nothing to offer you. Right? So Pedro, used to being in complete control and having dominance, you know, over all these women, took everything from her that was inside her house, which was only like her bed and a few other things, sold them, leaving her with nothing, took the money and bounced, never to be seen again. Pedro is just such a class act guy. And... All in all, you guys, Pedro served less than an average of one month in prison for each life he has claimed to have taken. That's crazy. They really need to change the laws over here. Maybe they have over, over, over there, over yonder. <laughs> I don't Columbia, know. Maybe we should have researched that to see if they have <laughs> since then. I'm sure they have. I'm, I'm sure, sure Pedro's, you know, his actions go down in history. Oh, yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely going down. We'll have some pictures for you guys of him, too. Take a look at this guy. Um, We want to know, do you guys think he's alive or not? Nah? Mm. I don't think he is because we... I don't think so. I think no. he's gone by now. Somebody probably offed him and got that cash that the families were All those were families, offering. exactly. Yep. They raised all those when there's a bounty out there, and they're like, you know what? We're going to take him out on the streets because yep. he likes to roam around. Bye, Pedro. Here you go. Thank you guys for joining us today. We hope you guys had a really good new year. Kick off to 2022. And mine was not so good. I was sick for like 10 days, which is why we were dead to the world last Friday and didn't even give you guys like a little posty post letting you know that there wouldn't be an episode. I think I got Raina sick because I wasn't feeling too hot, but I'm like, no, it's just a sinus infection. I'm fine. And then she texts me and she's like, Like, I'm I'm dying. I'm like, okay, well. Well, now I feel horrible, but we are back and we are feeling 100% and we hope that you guys are too. I know there's a lot of sickness going around, but we'll be back next Friday with a brand new episode and we hope you have a safe, nice weekend. Bye, Bye guys. guys.